Today, Pastor Chris starts a worship series on the book of Revelation, which literally means the revealing of Jesus. I'd like to invite you to pull out the inside in your bulletin and read responsibly with us. You can join with Joy, who will be reading the bold. The revelation of Jesus Christ, a collage of images. The Alpha and the Omega, holy and true. Eyes like blazing fire, holding a sharp double-edged sword. And John fell at his feet as though he were dead. The revelation of Jesus Christ. The Amen, the faithful and true witness. With a voice like a trumpet and lightning flashing from his throne. And John saw him through an open door into heaven. The revelation of Jesus Christ. Michael and his angels fighting the dragon, hurling him to earth. A lamb on Mount Zion, surrounded by a hundred and forty-four thousand saints. A great multitude shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. The revelation of Jesus Christ. A white horse, a lamb that was slain. A great victory, a dragon conquered. A holy city that needs no light. The revelation of Jesus Christ. I am the light of the world. I am the water of life. I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. The revelation of Jesus Christ. The crippled walk, the blind see. The 5,000 are fed. The demon tormented are set free. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. The revelation of Jesus Christ. The word became flesh and lived among us. To do the will of his father. So that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. To bring the truth that sets us free. The revelation of Jesus Christ. Behold, I am coming soon. That where I am, you may also be. Don't let your hearts be troubled. A new city. No crying. No death. Behold, I am coming soon. Amen. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The The revelation revelation of of Jesus Jesus Christ. Thank you, worship team. Mother used to watch us ride our motorcycles in the woods behind the house from the kitchen sink. She saw everything that happened as my brother and I rode these little 80cc Hondas. She couldn't stand to watch, but she couldn't bear to walk away. So from the kitchen sink, she would say, slow down, do you have your helmet on? My brother and I would curve through Dirt trails we carved out ourselves and jump over mounds of dirt and up and down a slope five acres of woods we called the backyard. He'd swoop down and pick up a handful of pine cones and make war with me. I was eager to return his fire. Mom's at the kitchen sink, however. Pretty soon she would occupy herself somewhere else in the house. Could not take it anymore. But I'm not sure which was more painful for her, which is worse 
to watch or not to watch. It reminds me of a scene several years ago. The girls were little. Almost every day, they asked for a Disney movie to be put on in the house, the classics that we all know and love. A few minutes into the video, I've left the room, and I come back, and the video's running, but there are no children. You know, look around the room. If you look long enough, you see two little heads behind the couch with matching squinty eyes. Girls, what's the problem? Mommy, this is the bad part. It's Ursula. She's bad. If it's scary, let's turn it off. No, no, Mommy, no, don't turn it off. Well, if it's scary, we shouldn't watch. It's not scary. I'm not sure which is more painful, to watch or not to watch. Kirby can tell you better than I can. And men, those of you in the room who've been through this, Your wife in pain for what seems like forever and the screams come and the needles disappear under her skin and it goes on and on and the nurse may say, would you like to step out and take a break because the baby's not coming? Which is it, man? Is it more painful to watch or not to watch? It's the reaction many of us have when we open the book of Revelation, that last book in our Bible. It's painful to watch, but it's equally painful not to watch. We want to see how it turns out. We want to go all the way to the end, but we'd like to skip the gruesome stuff in the middle. It's painful to watch, but it maybe is more painful not to watch. Or some have a different response. When they open Revelation, they're immediately enmeshed in all the symbols and the imagery. They sort of breathe it in and dwell with it. It's rich and powerful and and passionate, and it's a study of a lifetime. Still others are quite convinced they'll never solve this supposedly hidden code. They'll never understand the enigmatic puzzles. They'll never know what to do with all these numbers and how they add up, add up and they close the book. Sure, it'll never make sense. Since the beginning of this written material, the book of Revelation, it has evoked all of these responses and a few others. We want to watch, but we're not sure we want to watch. This book we call Apocalyptic, which is this grand cosmic vision John has of of God coming and breaking into the world where we live and establishing his kingdom and, and good and God rule forever and ever, amen, and gone is everything evil and ugly. That's apocalyptic, and that's John's grand vision. You could think of this last book of your Bible as one part apocalyptic, like I've just described this vision, one part prophet, like the Old Testaments we've studied for the last four weeks, and another part worship. These powerful, rich, all-involved worship scenes around the throne with choir and music and incense and instruments and voices. In fact, watch John. He'll go on for a while describing a battle and war and something vicious, and then there'll be an interlude of worship of all things. That's what John intends to do with this unusual book at the end of our Bible, unlike anything else in the New Testament, similar somewhat to Daniel and Ezekiel in the Old. This book we call Revelation, which some of us are not sure. Is it better to watch or is it better not to watch? This book obviously comes at a time for for John and his communities in Asia Minor when, as one author has written, 
the hammer of history has come down on these people. They bow and confess Jesus Christ. They're murdered. They, they bring their infant son for circumcision. All three of them would be slaughtered. They partake of a supper like we will here. And if they get caught, it will be their last supper. So when John writes with these symbols and this imagery that is beyond what we can imagine, it is because he's writing what evokes the same kind of physical response and the fear that people are really living with. It's big. So we see about words like the abyss and the Armageddon. We see men on horses with riders and mounted troops and armies and earthquakes and fires. Lakes of sulfur that go on and on. Locusts who eat people. False prophets, beasts, dragons, serpents, evil spirits, creatures of every unimaginable kind. These symbols John writes with, they trigger something in the people. That physical kind of fear response. You know, when you're afraid how you jump back and you have a reaction physically, that's what these symbols do for John's community. I came into the sanctuary this week and had a fear response. From those steps, I looked out, and there was a lizard up against the wall. And Robbie, our secretary, was coming forward to tell me that my Bible study was here, but she saw there was a lizard up against the wall, and she was curled up on top of a pew. A physical response of fear. Now, I don't pretend to be any better. Later on, she said, why are you up on the piano bench? (laughs) We had eight men up on the roof, and we thought how ridiculous that we would have to call someone to get this bold lizard out of the sanctuary who darted from that pillar out to the middle and back under and up the steps towards my office. I've never seen a lizard hop, jump up a step. Not one, three. The the couple for the Bible study came in, and he said, what's going on? I said, there's a lizard in the sanctuary. We don't really like those. The two of them together put their books down, walked over to where the lizard was, trapped him. I said, if you get this lizard out of the sanctuary, you don't even have to have Bible studies. We'll put you in the water on Sabbath. (laughs) And they, they took this beast to me, dropped it outside. Robbie got down off the pew. Fear, a physical response. Oh, these are not lizards. In John's writing, huge fears, the hammer of history coming down on these people. So Paul, John writes with these symbols that are larger than life, that evoke a a physical response, a jumping back. Because it signals inside of the people the very same thing they're living with. People call it a tapestry in the sky. They call it musical drama. They call it theater set to music. All of these words to describe John, the Revelator's vision. I'm going to ask you not to read this morning. I'm going to ask you to just listen to Revelation chapter 1, probably the way the churches of Asia Minor did. Revelation chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show which God gave to him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. 
Blessed is the one who reads these words and this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. Now John, with his personal message, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you. I have come to you in the name of the Almighty, from the one who was and is and is to come, from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is a faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us, who has freed us from our sins by his blood, who has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve God his Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming in the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. All the people of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, and who was to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, I was on the island of Patmos in the day of the Lord. The word of God and the testimony of Jesus came to me. I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. I said, and it said to me, write on a scroll what you see, what you see. And send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, to Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. When I turned around, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were blazing like fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of rushing water. In his right hand, he held seven stars. Out of his mouth came a double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though, though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever. I hold the keys of death and Hades in my hand. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands, it is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. This is the revelation of John. Churches receiving that revelation probably said, well, read it again. We need to see it again. We didn't catch it all. Can, can you do that over? And maybe do it over again so we can see one more time this message that's come to us. When we visualize John's symbols over the next seven weeks, I will resist the urge to define them. I think that it violates the nature of symbolic language. Symbolic language, that is, that, that language which can't quite describe and confine what it sees and what it hears. Language that's doing its best to describe that which is far beyond. And, and we can even see John 
struggle with this language. We can see him strained when he's trying to describe the one like the Son of Man. His eyes are like this and his hair is like this and his his voice is like this and his feet is like this, but I I really don't have the words to tell you what this is like, but it's sort of like this. And and what is this person? He has the stars in his right hand. Well, he's the ruler of the cosmos, so that must mean the emperor is not the ruler and Rome is not in charge. This one like the Son of Man must be in charge and I'm having such a hard time to use deciding what words to use and and with that hand this one like the son of man touched me when i fell at his feet you will notice we should notice it is of great significance when this message comes to john it is not an angelic being in most of the bible the old testament when a message comes from god it comes from what kind of a carrier an angel. But when John has a vision, his very first vision, the message comes directly from this one, like the Son of, the man, like the son of man. The message comes from Jesus Christ, and it's, it's the hand of Jesus himself that touches John. No one else. It's Jesus right there with John. We should notice that. Jesus ministers to John. And with that touch of his hand comes the voice that says, Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. You see how the first vision in Revelation isn't about an event. It certainly isn't about an event far off. The first vision is about a person, Jesus Christ. And this is what the big news is. Since last the prophets wrote, Jesus has come and Jesus has ministered and Jesus has been crucified and resurrected and ascended. And and that is what has to be written about. And it's not sometime in the future. It's right now Jesus walks among these seven churches in Asia Minor where the hammer is coming down on him. The vision says Jesus is here now and his, his hand is on you. And this is the same God as the one from the Old Testament. When the text says, I am the one who was and is and is to come. Oh, that's reminiscent of God. The description of God in the Old Testament. I am the beginning and the end. There's no other God. But now in Revelation, a new vision. There is someone like God in this Godhead. With God is this one like the Son of Man, Jesus Christ. And this Jesus Christ in the vision says, I'm not leaving. I am present. I'd like to assert this morning that the two most underread texts in the book of Revelation we've just read this morning. Revelation 1 1. This is the revelation of Jesus. And Revelation 1 17. Do not be afraid. The two most underread texts. You see, as we've moved through time as a church and as in Christian history, and some of you here have lived in a time where they said the end is now, the end is near, it's eminent, just like in John's day when the hammer of history was coming down. You've lived through these periods. And as we've moved through time with this prophetic message, we read Revelation today and we see it's not primarily about events. It's primarily about a person. And we sit on planet Earth. And I don't know about you, but my history has been that I worry. We worry. 
We worry about the Sunday laws and we worry about our ATM cards which could be tracked to powers unseen who will have control over us. We worry about little barcodes embedded in our skin somewhere. We worry about whether our families will survive or whether our behavior and our choices will be good. Our end-time living will be good enough to please this one in the book of Revelation. Whether our end-time living is acceptable or not, we worry And popular culture, I'm afraid, has infiltrated Adventist conversation. Popular culture says the apocalyptic is is scary, that it's bloody, that it's violent, and it's full of fear. And I just want to say this morning, as I said a few weeks ago, fear is very big business in our world, but fear has no place in the Seventh-day Adventist church. Motivating by fear, building on fear, inducing fear. They have no place here in our thoughts, in our practice. It's not only unhealthy. If I'm reading Revelation carefully, it is unbiblical. It is blasphemous even to use fear and abuse the fear of the Lord in our world and say it's from God's name for God's purpose. I'm also aware that nowhere in Revelation am I told I need to figure out all these symbols. Nowhere does the text say to me, you need to know what that double-edged sword is. You need to know what the beast with these various heads and horns represents. You need to understand about the bowls and these cups and these trumpets and these seals. You better figure it all out. The revelator never says that. But the revelator does give a command from Jesus that says, do not be afraid. So every week that we open the text together, we'll read just like this. I'll read the first part. If you'll read the part where it says people to remind us that this is the revelation of Jesus Christ, which came from God. Jesus says, do not be afraid. And we'll say it over and over again till perhaps we'll believe it. That we can take the word of Jesus from this revelation. Do not be afraid. I'm taking seriously also the counsel from Ellen White cited in several locations. When she says people rest satisfied with the light they've already received from God, received from God's word. And they discourage any further investigation of the scriptures. They become conservative and seek to avoid any discussion. The fact that there is no controversy or agitation among God's people should not be regarded as conclusive evidence that they're holding fast to sound doctrine. There is reason to fear that they may not be clearly discriminating between truth and error. When no new questions are started by investigation of the scripture, when no difference of opinion arises which will set people to searching the Bible for themselves to make sure that they have the truth, there will be many now, as in ancient times, who hold to traditions they know not what of. I am taking that counsel seriously as we open Revelation together. So I invite you, if you are opening the book of Revelation to primarily identify and define and label the dozens of symbols listed there, please close it. If you're opening the book to track fulfilled and unfulfilled prophecies, please close it. 
if you have the book open to determine how to get better and better at living to make sure we can stand in front of God in that moment, in that day, please close this book. And if you have it open to perhaps do some number work and come up with a timeline that will be more faithful than our ancestors, please close it today. Close it and start again. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ, the one seated on the throne, the Lamb of God, the one God sent to us, the first and the last and everything in between. That's what the story is about. If we open it for any other reason, we need to start again. I taught a group of junior high students several years ago. I was not very critical of the resource materials they gave the teachers. I was a substitute teacher for about 10 weeks. I was doing good just to get class underway. I didn't reflect very carefully on this assignment then. When we came to the end times, the ninth and 10th graders were to study end times for two or three weeks. And I gave out the assignment listed in the teacher reference material. I gave them each a grocery sack and they were to go home and fill up their grocery sack with whatever it could hold. And bring it back the next day. And the next day, we would begin the time of trouble. We would come to school, leave our backpacks, and we would all exit out together for the time of trouble. So they brought their sacks from home. And we left our things, and we took off. A mile or two, we, we walked. It wasn't really a hike. We walked up the street. We sat down under a, a grove of trees there and just sort of looked at each other. We're in the time of trouble. What do we do next? So we begin to open the sacks to see what everyone brought. We begin to snoop and to see what was most precious to people, that they had to have it during the time of trouble. Oh, one girl had to have a certain pair of jeans and a certain pair of shoes. And, and guys, especially Walkmans were the thing then, not iPods. Walkmans had to have their Walkman and, and just a whole load of batteries. Because, Miss, they would say to me, how long will these batteries last? If, if I turn my Walkman on now, how long will I last in the time of trouble? And they started looking at what everybody else brought and wondering, well, maybe I didn't bring the right things, and can I trust you to share, and would we be better to pool all of our resources when we get hungry? If I run out of food, could I eat from you? And what about our pets that are at home? And what if our families didn't all get out of the city? And, and they begin to wonder and worry, and how would you negotiate your way through? If somebody came for us, where would we hide right now? And 98% of the conversation was this. How do we take care of ourselves now? It's the time of trouble. And 2% of the conversation they heard from their teacher. But don't worry because God will be with us. If I could do the assignment again, I wouldn't do that assignment. But if I could do the assignment again, there would be 2% conversation on how might you take care of yourself and your family and your friends. And there would be 98% of the story on, but this is Jesus Christ. Do not be afraid. You will survive this. 
That is how I invite you to read the book of Revelation. May there not be another generation of Adventist children who grow up wondering, will they survive this time of trouble near the end of time? May there not be another generation of Adventist children who lay quietly in their beds in internal conflict wondering about this unpredictable God they read from the pages of the last book of the Bible. May there not be another generation of Adventist children who are sure they'll never understand this book and they'll just wait for the right evangelist to come into town someone else can explain it to them because they'll never be able to get it. May that never happen because there is no secret in Revelation. It is not a secret. It is so crystal clear, as one of my good colleagues and friends says, at the end it will be so clear. There is a dragon on that side who eats its offspring. There is a lamb on that side who laid its head down on the chopping block. There is a dragon over there who hoards all the power. There is a God seated on this throne who shares all the power. There won't be chaos anywhere in the end of this book. There won't be an empty throne. There will be someone seated on the throne. It will be so crystal clear what this is about. There is no secret in the book of Revelation. It'll be laid out and then we get to decide what to do. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Do not be afraid. Join him in singing that chorus again, would you? You know these words. faith of that child, will you be persuaded? It is no secret, the book of Revelation. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
Do not be afraid. Amen. One of the most humbling things we do together is a community serving each other the bread and the cup. Let me read these words to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you drink this cup and eat this bread, you proclaim the death of Jesus until he comes. Pastor Ken and I will offer a prayer over these emblems. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful this morning that the emblems that we hold in our hands are symbols that point beyond themselves to something so much bigger, so much more real. A very tangible person, Jesus, who gave himself. It was his body that was broken, your body. It was you that gave yourself in a very real way to us. And as we hold this this morning in our hands and as this bread becomes a part of our bodies, we pray that who you are becomes a part of who we are as well. We thank you for the way that you share yourself with us through the symbol of the bread. And likewise with the cup, God, we give thanks for this total sacrifice that is difficult for us to comprehend, even difficult for us to fully experience. We accept it through faith. We thank you for your grace. And we step out in faith that you'll continue to transform us. In the name of Jesus, we offer these prayers. Amen. And Jesus said, take and eat. This is my body. And likewise, Jesus said with this cup, take and drink. This is my blood spilled for you. We will do as the scripture said. We'll go out with a song. We'll sing together, led by the praise team. We'll also receive our offering at this time for church budget. Place them in your hand. 
things work together for our good. We give thanks. We give praise for our faith. We know your grace will see us through. For by faith we know your grace will see us through. Let's pray. And now to the one to whom we give thanks, our great God. We accept the sacrifice of Jesus. We accept that he's risen and that he lives and dwells with you. We accept the revelation of Jesus Christ and we will not be afraid. May we walk this week with our heads up and our eyes on you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.